Hello and welcome to the Thursday Night Post Game Show, this time recapping and analyzing Georgia State's 44-27 rivalry loss to Georgia Southern. And for a little bonus content, taking a peek at the men's basketball team's 92-66 exhibition win over Morehouse College on Sunday afternoon. It'll largely be a football podcast as usual, and we'll start with a quick summary of the action in Statesboro on Thursday night. The result of the game, Georgia Southern 44, Georgia State 27. It looked like the game would be a fun back and forth when Southern held a slight 10-7 lead at the end of the first quarter, but a nightmare 15 minutes followed in the second as the Panthers were outgained 172-24 and outscored 17-0, heading to the locker room down 27-7. After getting up a 76-yard touchdown pass to Dalen Cobb to let Georgia Southern take their largest lead of the night, 34-7, State clawed back into the game by scoring the next 14 points, aided in part by a pair of Eagle turnovers. But after letting the deficit slip to that 13-point margin, Southern embarked on a field goal drive and salted the game away when Marquez Watson-Trent intercepted Darren Granger and returned it 50 yards for a touchdown. Georgia State is now 6-2 in 2023 and 3-2 in the Sun Belt, falling to 6-4 all-time against their rivals to the south and 3-2 in Paulson Stadium. Gentlemen, thoughts on this Georgia Southern game? We've had a little extra time uh, to have this game kind of sit and percolate and I don't think that anything is going to make it feel good or any kind of, you know, you lost by 17 to your rival. Uh, it was kind of one of those games that might add an opportunity to take a lead in the East and feel like taking a step. Um, I don't think it negates anything for the rest of the season, like stuff still in front of them, even though things just got harder. Now the Georgia Southern's in control in the Sunbelt East. Um, but all of that is probably temporary for a lot of people listening to this, just given that there's a lot riding on this series every year. And this year, uh, the team in the darker, more Navy-ish blue is the team that won. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I had um, some rose-colored glasses um, in a way to, like, spin this. I mean... At the end of the day, you, you know, first and foremost, lost to your rival. It's not something that, you know, obviously Georgia State fans are going to love. And it's not something that the players love. Um, number two, it's a very tight East race. And at the end of the day, Georgia State now needs help. You know, they no longer control their own destiny um, in terms of the division race. Obviously, winning their remaining Sunbelt games certainly puts them in, you know, not, it might not be the driver's seat, but, you know, it's not like you're in the back seat or anything like that. Um, but, you know, you still need help at this point. Um, and that's not a given, given that Georgia Southern is clearly playing well. Um, and just given who Georgia State also has on their schedule. Um, and then the other part about it is, you know, per let's call it 20 percent, like we'll call it 80 percent of that game. No, 80 feels too high. I'll say for 60 percent of that game, you really did not look like a good football team um, and you didn't look like the football team that had been doing very well coming into the game um and you know we'll talk about it and break it down like credit georgia southern for the things that they did um but also you know the first half you know the entire first half was not the georgia state football that we had seen you know the last few weeks like even even in the troy game like i thought that in the second half in the troy game georgia state moved the ball well and they just really did not move the ball well in the first half outside of um 
the one score that they had. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a a ton of reasons why this one stings. Um, you know, the, the biggest game in this rivalry, and you know, it was one of, another one of Georgia Southern's kind of butt kickings on the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, I kind of would make that number you gave on the percent they played not at their best lower. I don't think it was 60%, definitely not 80%. Uh, but the reality is in the second quarter was probably the worst quarter they played all year. And that's where the game was turned because, you know, it was 10-7 after 15 minutes and it felt pretty like Georgia Southern's offense had looked pretty crisp to start. And so it was like, okay, you might need to score upwards of 30 40 to win this one you're not going to be able to keep your standard team under 30 points uh deal that they've been going but it felt like after the touchdown drive after a little bit of early hiccups from the offense that they were up for it also uh but in the second quarter it entirely flipped uh georgia southern won that quarter on the scoreboard 17 nothing they outgained georgia state 162 to 24 and that's because they ran 27 plays to Georgia State's 10, leading to them winning the time of possession in the quarter, 11 minutes, 17 seconds to 3 minutes, 43 seconds. And in the moment, it was like, God, the defense is getting whipped here. Like it was a real live game versus going back and rewatching it flip for me because live, I was like, all right, what are we doing here? On replay, I don't think they played well. I'm not going to turn it around and say, like, the defense still had issues, but the offense gave them no chance in that quarter. Like, there's the there was a third and short the offense didn't convert that they had to punt. Uh, they were running tempo all night, and it was it worked in the second half, and it worked on that touchdown drive. But when you're running that tempo and you have a short drive, you go three and out, that gives your defense almost no time to recover. And it was kind of the worst of all things. And went from bad to worse to even worse when Darren Granger throws the interception uh, to give Georgia Southern a second straight drive starting in plus territory, a chance to make it just absolutely a laugher at halftime. And it was kind of the, the one win of the second quarter for Georgia State was they held out for a field goal and it was just 27-7 at the half. Um, but That one wasn't on Darren, by the way, just throwing that out there a wasn't little a bit great it throw, wasn't a great throw but it did hit somebody's hands and it to was, me that removes a lot of a lot of it, the play it was a it was an iffy throw decision like jacari carter was the only georgia state player in the area there i think they were playing some zone and so when the ball got up in the air it's just dangerous there were like three guys there it looked like there there was a guy who didn't even factor in the play who might have had a play on the pick um it fell, fell to a different guy who was right there in the area um and that's where, you know, I guess if we want to talk about the Darren part of it, because quarterbacks always have the magnified thing, uh, three turnovers again in this loss is the same as the Troy loss is not good. Um, it's a little bit different for me in the sense that in that moment and with the pick six that he threw that killed off the game and even the fumble later when like the game was really over, there was a factor of urgency and not going through your progressions as carefully as a quarterback's going to do most of the time. And so it's not like I excuse it. He, the, the pick six was a really bad throw really late. Uh, I don't necessarily go to the lengths to defend him on that first one either, but not as bad of a play, but still all of them, the same kind of theme of like he needed to make something happen. And so he was trying to get down the field and, you know, we've seen this offense do that exact thing where they take the underneath stuff, 
and go on at least to get a field goal drive at the end of a half multiple times. They did it against Charlotte and they did it against Coastal in back-to-back weeks. And so it's not like we have to say like, oh, just take it to the half. You you aren't made to make that type of drive happen. We've seen it this year. That was not the throw. That was not the time. And it made a awful quarter even worse and uh, set an even bigger hole to where when the defense played a lot better and the offense played a good deal better, though lacked in some execution, some key spots in the second half, because you got down 20 and then eventually 27, it got to a point where you're just going to have to play a perfect game to have a chance. And they played a decent one to give themselves like a hint of a chance, uh, but they still left too many points on the field and gave themselves way too much work to do on the road in a heated rivalry game where let's not forget Georgia Southern had lost the last three. I am sure that one meant a lot for those guys, especially if you're talking about some juniors and seniors on that Eagles team who had never won in this game. And so it's not like that was like destined to happen. Like obviously Georgia state could have still found a way to win that game, but on the back of it, you do think about it in terms of like, definitely that was one that they had circled. And I think you saw that. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, like I said, credit to them. They really came to play, you know, after the, the, you know, the punts to start the game, Georgia Southern moved the ball pretty effectively. Um, A lot, you know, you look at kind of these drives and the time of possession, they're not long drives in terms of times of possession, but they were pretty long drives in terms of plays and yards. Um, They, you know, kind of did what they like to do. Um, and I I agree with you specifically on the second quarter point about the defense. I mean, look, I wouldn't say that anybody on the defense played, um, you know, that was not Georgia State's best defensive game as evidenced by the 44 points. Georgia Southern scored in every single quarter and only had one quarter with a single score, and that was the third quarter when it really looked like Georgia State was getting back in the game. Uh, multiple scores in each quarter, and that's not something that's not something we've seen out of this Georgia State defense. You know, they like I, like I've been talking about each and every week, even when they lost to Troy. You know, this is the only FBS team that has put up thirty plus on them, and it's uh, as we record this, it's October thirtieth. Um, it was just a bad night, and that happens. It is very frustrating, though, because the offense really like, yes, you can look at the offensive numbers and yes, they had a much better second half. You know, yes, you know, they, you know, were very close to Southern in terms of yards and, you know, they had a great day rushing the ball specifically in the second half. The offense just did not give them enough chances to really be a defense that could do what they wanted. And I like that. I mean, that really was the ball game. You know, like, yes, we can talk about the turnovers because they were bad. That stretch in the first, like after the touchdown, that stretch, the rest of the first half, honestly, into the third half when they, sorry, (laughs) into the third quarter when they missed the field goal, just, it was, I mean, it really was not great football. They punted, it was three punts, the interception, and then they missed the field goal. They didn't, you know, the drive that started 10 minutes into the third quarter was the first drive since nine minutes in the first quarter where they actually put a sustained drive together and got points on it. And it's really, really, really hard to be in a shootout 
and not be able to consistently match, you know, your opponent point for point. It's, it becomes so difficult if you continue to get stopped. So. Yeah. The numbers on that uh, in the first half on first and second down, which I think is kind of the key downs you can point to for the difference in these two offenses. Uh, Georgia state ran 20 plays on first or second down in the first half. They got 79 yards on those plays. It's, 3.95 yards per play. And if you take out the touchdown drive, the one drive where they kind of looked pretty consistent, got it going, it was 34 yards on 12 plays, 2.88 yards per play. And then if you reverse that for Georgia Southern, they had 30 plays on first or second down, and they had a few extra first downs because of some penalties. um, 172 yards, 5.73 yards per play. And bear in mind, they had three negative plays in that bunch. One of them was a sack for a loss of eight. Another one was a loss of five on a play. So even with a couple of like drive killing or potentially drive killing negative plays in there, they were moving it to where they were getting a first down just on the first and second down plays when you average it out. And that was kind of how it bared out. You saw them get into kind of a manageable second down to where it just really felt like, especially in that second quarter, the defense was not sure if it was going to be run or a pass. And that's what we talked about before the game, talking about like Jalen White is a good running back. And this is not a run game that you can take lightly. But the thing is, you have to limit that part of their offense, because if they have both, you're just not going to be able to deal with that and also all the weapons they have on the perimeter. And that was kind of what I saw play out in the, especially the second quarter where the defense hit some struggles because they were not stopping the run. And so Georgia Southern kind of could do whatever they want, mixed it up. And there was never a moment for any extended stretch, except for when they held out for those field goals, just like in those specific couple of plays where they got a couple of incompletions in a row. It just never felt like the defense got into a rhythm and got a feel for what the Southern offense was trying to do. And that's, you know, credit to the Georgia Southern offense for, having a good game plan and keeping Georgia state kind of on the back foot the entire time, the entire time. Yeah. And it, you know, it was kind of frustrating to watch because I really felt like Georgia state didn't have a chance to let their defensive stars make the plays, um, which like that. I mean, that's, that's when you're going up against the quarterback, like Davis Brandon, when you're going up against an offense like Georgia Southern, like that's what they want to do. You know, they, they looked to find Georgia state's pressure point And I mean, they attacked it. Like, you know, I don't have the pro football focus numbers or anything in front of me, but I, I kept seeing Georgia Southern attack Ronald Cooper at that star defensive back position. And, you know, I think we hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks just because Georgia state had been so effective. Um, at not having that extra defensive back on the field. Like they, they've been mixing up their coverages and, you know, winning with the fewer defensive backs. So we hadn't seen him play as much and as again, he played in this game. Some of that was the personnel from Southern, which was they, they were running a lot where you needed that extra defensive back. Whereas like last time against Louisiana, like we had talked about, they really got it inside with those tight ends and they allowed Georgia state to sub in an extra linebacker most of the time, which was to Georgia state's benefit. Like you say, Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I know the bottom three defensive graded players on PFF college were Cooper, Cody Jones and four snaps. So unfair sample size to loop him in there, but he was there. And then the bottom player was Gavin Pringle, who had a bit of a rough night. Um, 
He did. So he absolutely that's going to be the way it goes as a corner. You know, they've got zero margin for error. And he was ultimately, I think, the defender who had a chance to make a play on that 76-yard touchdown in the uh, third quarter, which was off of a, a cover zero blitz. Um, Coach Elliott, after the game, was not pleased with the call there. He thought it was kind of a, a silly call. But the, the going to on a third down there, 27-7 at that point, kind of loop in everything we've talked about with this defense. Um, it was a third and kind of manageable. And Chad Staggs felt compelled to call that zero blitz there to try and get pressure because they had not really done a lot after getting a sack on the first drive for Georgia Southern of knocking Brent off his spot, anything that you're trying to do to get him out of his rhythm. And so I don't know if it was the right call and clearly it got executed poorly and you didn't get home and they got a big touchdown out of it. but. I get it because you needed to do something to get off the field, to make Bryn make a mistake. Uh, Cause we hadn't entered the charity portion of the game from Davis Bryn at that point. Uh, it did not go well, but it did kind of speak to, I think he felt like he had to dial up one of those type of blitzes because when they were just sending four or five, it wasn't getting home near enough to really give them that play that was going to flip the game. And I think, you know, a lot has been made about Georgia State running zone defenses over the years. Um, and I mean, the thing about zone defense is it's just it's one of those things where it's just like if you are going to see zone defense as a quarterback, teams are just going to run it until you can prove that you can stop it. And I think, you know, going back to the Pringle, you know, Pringle's performance, I really I, I'd have to go back and see specifically and kind of highlight him outside of the touchdown. I don't remember a ton where he got burned in just straight up. Like I am the number one, like within two yards defender of you. I think a lot of what sank Georgia state was they just were playing a lot of, you know, keep guys in front of you, protect the big play, which fine. You've seen them have success with that this year. Um, but on some of the, you know, like you talked about the second downs and how Georgia, how effective Georgia Southern was, you know, they would, be in medium schedule distance and you know they would turn a second and five into a seven yard gain a six yard gain and just continue to get first downs simply because what georgia state would do is they were just kind of bailing on you know playing the receivers up because of their speed and, and like those are talented receivers like you know you definitely don't always want to see Caleb Hood, you know, in space and try to make tackles like that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that is an easy guy to bring down, both because of how physical he is and his speed. Like, you know, I totally understand the thought process with it. Um, but I mean, it really was a lot of that. And then, you know, Southern would just find the deep play kind of after that and really make you pay. So, you know, definitely not the best game for the defense. And it's unfortunate because, I think, you know, coming into this, into the game, they did such good work against Louisiana that a lot of the season defensive numbers, you know, honestly looked to be in a really good spot. And, you know, they certainly have been better than they were after this one. Yeah. Um, the other part of it was, again, hunting matchups. Like you talked about the talented receivers they've got, like Burgess, like Caleb Hood. Uh, Caleb Hood got the first touchdown of the day, matched up. On, in the slot on Cooper. And again, notice like if we're just slandering the secondary, but it, it was kind of a rough night for them. But you don't want to have Caleb Hood matched up on the nickel corner. Like he is too talented. And and that's what Southern can do with all the guys they have. It just kind of, you get the matchup. You, 
And on a play-by-play basis, you've got to hope that they're not the hot route if they get a step and he got a step on that play. And to the point about the run game I was making earlier, the touchdown to make it 24-7 was on, I think, if it's not an identical play to what Georgia State runs, it's basically the exact same concept where it's a play action, like an RPO slant. And because of the run and because of how much success they had had, a lot of attention was played on that run aspect of the play. But Bryn pulled it and had a one-on-one guy on a slant and Sanders hit the hole and just was gone at that point. And so, again, because you couldn't really stop that fundamental part of the offense, things went downhill. And in the second half, it was a lot better. Uh, In the second half, uh, they forced two turnovers. And that, uh, I think, gave a chance, especially if Georgia State had been able to put up the maximum points on all of those opportunities. And I guess this is where... I'm fine flipping it over to the offense because I still think as much as we've just said about the the defense, the offense is who I think this loss more lands on. And especially when you even say that like it was 34 seven at one point and the game was not over. Like there were enough plays that we saw that if Georgia state does what the opportunities, what they have done for most of the year, it could have gotten back to one possession game and things get real squeaky in Paulson stadium. They come out of the locker room down 20. They get a really good drive together. The first drive that looked anything like what we've seen earlier in the year down to the red zone. So first and goal at the four after a Marcus Carroll run. And they go rush for no gain. Darren gets sacked where he basically had no time at all. The guy came untouched immediately and he was a sitting duck in the pocket. And then a screen play to try and get some of the yardage back to Tyleek Williams that goes nowhere. And then a missed field goal by Isaac Kone, who um, I don't know if we're going to have a whole special team segment, but it, Liam Rickman seems to have got the job back. Uh, Coach Elliott was not pleased with the focus from Kone there and did not have a lot of, you know, said it was one of the worst field goal attempts he'd ever seen. And I can't say I disagree. Um, that one didn't have a chance. But honestly, you already kind of lost when you were kicking a field goal there down 20. Uh, but you're at the 14, so that's kind of the only play you have at that point. You don't have a 14-yard-to-go situation. Uh, but that was three or seven points off the board. After that, Bryn throws a pretty bad interception to Jeremiah Johnson. He gets a good return. The drive starts in plus territory, something like the 37-38. Turnover on downs. And on that drive, you did have uh, Robert Lewis and Jakari Carter, Jakari Carter, then Robert Lewis on back-to-back plays on a deep shot to the end zone, uh, which obviously you could have played a little safer there, but it was a good play on the third down play. Carter got broken up. Um, It might've been defensive pass interference on the fourth down to Lewis, but you know, you have to live with that. Might not get that call on the road in the rivalry game. Um, Split second decision. I, when I saw it watching it back, it looked pretty clear to me, but in the moment I, I, you can't rely on that call there. Um, you but- get that call if it's not 34-7, I feel like. And I, I, I don't say this to be snarky. I don't say this to, you know, bring some cope. I truthfully believe that that call, like, I, I think earlier in the game, there was a defensive pass interference call on Bright, uh on Georgia State that happened. Um, and it the contact level was a, of a similar level to that play. Um, so I, I really feel like if that game was closer, it gets called. 
Actually, I skipped something because in between, before the interception, Georgia State did put another drive together after they had given up that 76-yard touchdown we talked about when we were talking about the defense. Uh, And that drive, they got in the end zone to make it 34-14. But even then, it got down to fourth and goal, and you had to run a goal line fade to Kadarius Thompson. And he made a nice catch on the ball, and you got it. But even that one was a little bit like pulling teeth to where a lingering thing from the Louisiana win is weird things have been happening inside the red zone and specifically inside the five where I think in this game, the tempo was really what was working. And it felt like when they got down to the goal line, they were trying to be more controlled, make sure they had the right play, the right look, and just something about the operation, whether it was getting the right play in or whether it was Darren was making too much of a check at the line and whatever it was, whether it was just guys missed on their assignments, their blocks, or I don't know. Uh, something was just off with the general operation down there to where you had some run stuffs. And, uh, you know, on one of them, Robert Lewis, I think it was on that drive, it was like a first and goal at the one or the two. And that's where you ended up having to get the Thompson touchdown because despite starting at the one or the two on that goal-to-go sequence, you went backwards and had to go for it on fourth down. So another time where you actually got the touchdown, but it still felt pretty tough. Then you have the back-to-back turnovers by Bryn, the interception by Johnson, and then the following drive after the turnover on downs, uh, Anthony Bloom forces a fumble, recovered by Corey Warren, again in plus territory. This time, on the final play of the third quarter, they get the touchdown, and it's 34-21, and that did kind of feel like, oh, they are in this moment. But when you look back and think about the at least field goal, maybe a touchdown because it was goal to go that you missed on the opening drive, and the turnover on downs that you had after the interception. You know, they won that corner, they won that quarter 14-7 on the scoreboard and it felt like a loss because it should have been 24-28 and really really back in the game and really making Georgia Southern fans there start sweating it. Um but they just weren't good enough to take advantage of those situations and it's now two weeks in a row where you can point to it as kind of a lingering issue that it got you in this game. And I think that closeness, um, that closeness is really unfortunate um, because, like you just said, it's gotten them in the last couple of games. They they haven't looked as crisp as they did, like against the Marshall, against, you know, Charlotte earlier in the year. And yes, you know, we can have a conversation about the level of competition. But at the end of the day, you know, if you are playing that clean brand of football, and like, like, truthfully, there is a world where they get down even 34-7. You know, let's say worst case scenario, you just you stop it right there. There's a world where if they return to the Christmas that they had earlier in the year on offense and on defense, that they come away with a win right there. There absolutely is. And I think that is the frustrating part about it. You know, like I, you know, I, I think on Friday, you and I had a conversation about how the running attack, like I think the running numbers were inflated. Isn't the right word, but you, there was a very clear strategy shift from Southern. But at the end of the day, like two, two ninety is two ninety. you know, like, yeah, Southern might have been giving you two ninety, but you know, George, like Marcus Carroll had an incredible second half and an incredible game overall. And like, yeah, you would have liked some of it in the first half to kind of change the game situation a little bit, but 
at the end of the day, in the second half, the offensive line stopped getting abused by Georgia Southern's defensive line, and they played very well, and that's what led them to get back in the game. And I think it's it's unfortunate that they didn't have that Christmas because give them give them two drives. Give them two drives back, and I really, really think that it's not 44 to 27. Like obviously they lost by 17, and that takes three scores, but you could give you can give them the the pick six and then give them the turnover on downs. And it's a much better game and it looks a lot better than what the final score ended up being. Yeah, I think where I was coming from in our side conversation that you referenced, like there was a degree of Southern stop stacking the box as much. Um, I Part of it for me was that Georgia State was running different personnel. Like they weren't, they had the double stacked receivers on the outside. They gave the looks, they had like that bunch set on the outside that they've mostly just motioned out of, but Southern had to match the personnel there and be ready for it. And so they caught some light boxes in the second half, but you know, if you want to compare it to when Georgia state kind of did a similar thing against UConn earlier this year, that was a 28, nothing game in the fourth quarter. Like that one was like, unless you give up a fumble six on your own possession, like you'd love to go for style points and win this game by 40 plus, but there was not enough time unless you just made cataclysmic errors that you were going to lose that game. And Granted, some of the reason Georgia State came back was because of some turnovers by Southern. But if you're saying, okay, we're going to go real prevent, we're going to give Darren Granger and Marcus Carroll the entire middle of the field because we're up 27. I'm going to say it was a bad idea because it was working. You know, the offense was getting into a rhythm and getting instead of like, you know, five or six, like they were getting double digit runs. You know, Darren was breaking off runs. Carroll was breaking off runs. And it's unfortunate that some of these drives ended the way they did because for a large part of them, it was the offense we've seen most of the year. But you, know, you can't be a team that is capable of running for 270, sorry, 290 yards a game and not be good in short yardage down on the goal line. Like that is a strength of this team when they're playing well, is just their ability to work it in the run game. And so given that, you just cannot be that ineffective right up against it because it's it's all for nothing, you know. That that's just not going to be an offense that's going to put up thirty points a game most weeks if you are not able to. You know, if you're relying on just hitting the end zone on chunk plays, and they got a few of those. You know, Marcus Carroll on the last play of the third quarter got like a twenty-six yard touchdown run there. Um, he had a a few of those and a couple more, they had a chance that maybe the game goes differently. If the big chunk play turns into a big chunk touchdown play a couple more times, but it wasn't to be. And, you know, maybe it's, I don't want to say it's for the best. Like it's never good to lose and it's never good to lose a rivalry game, but maybe it, instead of losing a game where you could turn around and say, okay, we got the, the win here. Um, it's now the second week where you've had these red zone issues crop up. And you lost this one. And you could argue that you lost this one because of those red zone issues. And so, yeah, I think that like we saw after the Troy game, this team is capable of showing a response from a disappointing loss. And I almost kind of expect a considerably better performance aside from the obvious of like, it couldn't be much worse than that first half. Uh, But because, you know, talking after the game, 
Coach Elliott wasn't particularly phased, you know, and I don't want to make this out to be like a they don't care thing because this is not my point in this. But, you know, talking to Coach Elliott after the game and talking to Marcus Carroll after the game, like they weren't despondent looking for answers like in a lot of the press conferences we maybe saw last year, early in the season especially. I'm thinking of that Charlotte press conference where Coach Elliott seemed a little bit shell-shocked. It definitely was not the result or the performance he was expecting that week. They knew Georgia Southern was good and they knew what they did wrong in this game and they're still focused on what's ahead, you know, even just this week against a good James Madison team. They know that this is a good James Madison team and they know that they still do have a shot at all of the goals they looked to in the preseason. Like those are still, they're harder, like we talked about, but they are still there. And it was a team through one of its offensive leaders and the head coach that like after the Troy game, there wasn't a lot of angst and like doesn't feel like this is going to linger. I know it is probably still lingering for fans and might do until these teams face off again in 2024. Yeah, but, no, no, no. This is, this is absolutely going to be in the minds of fans until Georgia yeah. Southern visits Atlanta in October, 2024. And that is totally understandable. That's how college sports, that's how sports work. And I'm not telling people to have this not stick in their craw. Uh, it's not a fun one. Uh, but as far as like, we saw this after the Troy game, it was like, what's the response going to be? And they looked good against Marshall. They looked good, like in the little things, which is, was the problem in this game. Uh, and so it doesn't get easier when you play JMU this weekend. And we'll have more on that one coming up later in the week. But if you were looking into the mindset of the psyche of the team and like wondering how they are doesn't mean they're going to win the rest of their games, but it definitely doesn't feel like this is going to be a game that leads to a second loss. It feels like even on Saturday or even on Thursday, they had kind of started hitting the reset button and got ready for what was going to come. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Talk about this basketball exhibition on Sunday uh, against the Morehouse Maroon Tigers. It was a 92 to 66 win for Georgia State. This was, of course, a rematch of Jonas Hayes' first game as a head coach last October, a game which Georgia State won 68 to 57 in exhibition play. This one, though, was tight to start, but really started to tilt the Panthers' way toward the end of the first half, and they took a 41 to 26 lead into the break. From there, they took control and led by as much as 30 with 6 minutes 25 seconds left to play. On the afternoon, State held the Maroon Tigers to 3 of 23 from 3 and forced 23 turnovers. It was all new faces in the starting five for this one. Lucas Taylor, Tonari Lane, Ricky Bradley Jr., Leslie and Carriwim, and Jaden Turner. Turner led the team with 19 points and 12 rebounds. Taylor added 17, which included 4 of 8 shooting from downtown, and Brendan Tucker also scored 17. Gentlemen, thoughts on the exhibition game against Morehouse? Well, clearly, um, we didn't just put this in because it was a win, but it definitely doesn't hurt to end on a positive after all that that was. So appreciate the men's basketball schedule lining up like that to where it worked out. Um, as I put out on Twitter, um, I was not there. Uh, Jordan was there taking photos. You can look those at panthertalk.com, see the photos that Jordan got from the exhibition. I do still have some thoughts from it. I was able to scan the box score and I was able to kind of peruse other people's thoughts, which I will happily credit and crib as we do this little discussion. But the game last year was 68-57. This year was 92-66. And I don't really think you should put any stock into that because these exhibition games don't really matter. Uh, But if you were looking for 
affirmation of like this is a different offense. They put up 92. Dewan Odom played 19 minutes 42 seconds and scored four points. Brendan Tucker played almost 21 and a half minutes and scored 17 points. And so, what is that? Uh, 71 of these points were by all new guys. Uh, plus Ed, whatever Ed scored as well. Um, minus two for Ed Namoko as well. So a lot of this was the new faces we haven't seen yet. And it they shot 11 of 31 from three. Four of those coming from Lucas Taylor. Two of five from Ricky Bradley Jr. Uh, two of nine from Denari Lane, which is not a great number, but sometimes you're going to have guys shooting it out in the early season and you won't sweat that one yet. And even Jaden Turner got on the action with a, a th- made three-pointer. And so... How many times did we see Corey Allen do something like that and then pop off the next game? Yeah. Three? We just haven't seen the other game. But like we saw plenty of two and nine, one and whatever for Corey, and then the Sunbelt Championship, the Sunbelt Tournament uh, in 2022. He just went crazy. And so certainly allow that in the early season. And there's not a whole lot of caveating you got to do here. Like they were up by seven. uh, They were up by 14 at the half. They got up as much as 30 by the time it was over. Um, They got a little bit like near the end there. They got out of their, like, I think Morehouse cut it to as close as 17 again. And then Jonas called a timeout. I was like, all right. And then they settled things and pushed the lead back up to about where it finished and everything was fine. And so it's still really not going to mean much, but I think as as far as we can take a single exhibition performance, when last year the big issue was scoring and shooting, you don't have to kind of do the whole thing of like, uh, well, it was just the exhibition. Like you can feel good about what you saw there. Um, it's just about doing it in games going forward. So I will take a slightly different approach to this. Um, and the reason I say that is because I remember very distinctly last year, after the exhibition, you know, 68-57, it was a lot of, it's an exhibition, it's new guys, you know, we're getting new arena, there's pomp and circumstance, getting, you know, their basketball legs underneath them, new coach, you know, let's let's see how they do and kind of get into the season from there. Um, and while I don't think the exhibition informed how the season went because they, you know, I think that that the next couple of games, they shot the three ball fine. I will say though, kind of looking back over the box score for that first game against Morehouse, a lot of the issues that were present throughout the season were, I, I mean, you can look at this box score and not tell me when this game was. And I would probably tell you that this game happened, you know, at the end of January and Georgia state lost by like 25 to a tough conference opponent, you know, they shot a lot of twos, you know, they had a decent two point percentage. They only scored 68 points, three for 24 from three Morehouse seven for 24 from three didn't shoot as many shots, but still, you know, kept that game a lot closer than, you know, you'd expect. And in 2023, that script completely different. And I don't, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Georgia State is going to be, you know, top offense in the Sun Belt, never give up a ton of points and, you know, 92 points every single game. It's the, you know, return to the Citadel from the late 2010s or whatever. Um, 
but you feel a lot better about their ability to shoot the three ball 11 for 31. You take that, you take their ability to rebound. You take their ability to, you know, get contributions up and down the lineup. Like, yeah, it's an exhibition. The best number on this page to me is the 19 minutes for Dwan Odom. You know, if you're having him have to play 39 minutes, 40 minutes, just because there is truthfully nobody else who is capable of moving the basketball or facilitating any offense, that's bad. That is not a team that is going to do something. And I'm not going to sit here and I, I have toyed with this idea that, you know, last year was truthfully an aberration. Like this is going to be a team that despite being picked lower in the league is going to go back to being the, you know, all right, this is what this program does. I think there is a world where there are still better programs in the league. Um, but I I am very encouraged by day one seeing that Georgia State looks to have fixed their biggest problem from last year. And, you know, pending health, pending, you know, continuing to play well, if they peak at the right time, that is a great sign for their prospects going into the year. And yet again, yes, it's an exhibition. Yes, it's, you know, it's Morehouse. But when we look back at this game at the end of March, and we say, okay, this is what the Georgia State team does. I want to see that they were still a team that shot the three ball well. They were still a team capable of getting a lot of rebounds. And I want to see that they went back to the Georgia State basketball that we have seen over the last 10 years at this point. Yeah, a couple more notes. Uh, Jermaine Mann and Julian Mackey, who was kind of the new guy, it felt like there was the most buzz around, the most we'd heard about uh, from Friend of the pod, Ben Moore. Precautionary held out. Uh, no reason for them to have to go in this game. And so that's the reason. And so you spread the minutes out a little bit to different guys here or there. And so it did feel intentional that not only uh, they obviously were held out for the precautionary reasons, but that you went to a whole new starting five and that you didn't play Brendan and Dewan as much. Like it, I don't believe that that's how the minutes are going to shake out. I assume both of them are going to be starting when they play Belmont next uh, next week, but uh, yeah, we'll wait to see on that. But I think we have done an admirable job, if I do say so myself, talking about myself. Um, that I think we we've covered it as well as we can from not having seen it. But I did want to go to the words of someone who was there and was able to actually do this based off the site, um, the site of the team itself. Uh, Former PT staffer John Weaver, I believe at one point at least he was a listener. I'm I'm sure he has listened throughout. Um, if he is listening, shout out John. Uh, I'm just going to read your words here because you were right there and there's really good observations that we couldn't have picked out from not seeing this game in person. Uh, on the Tucker point, he said, Tucker looks to be much improved. He was confident playing great defense and looks to have developed both his inside and outside game on offense. Would not be surprised at all to see him as all Sunbelt caliber at the end of the year. He also said that there's going to be a minute's fight for the one to three, the guard spots, because Taylor, Bradley, Lane, Turner, uh, along with Dewan and Brendan and Jermaine and Julian Mackey, who uh, did not play, that's a lot of guys that are going to be demanding time. Uh, he also said, I blinked and Jaden Turner had a double-double, was really impressed with his all-around game, and that is something to match the the, the box score test. Uh, looks like the guy was the best player on the field. And with losing Jaheim Hudson, I think that that's something that you were kind of hoping to see from someone who is going to be playing at the four or the five. And so 
yes, it's Morehouse, but you still like to see a guy get a pretty easy double-double. He said, we have shooters again. Bradley and Lucas Taylor and Lane nailed some long threes. Georgia State did get out-rebounded, but John notes that Morehouse does have some size, and this is me editorializing, but that's where maybe the questions are, especially is how they're going to hold up over the season goes. And I think the teams with size are going to try and make that size really count and just like hammer the glass. And so that's something that if it is an issue, if the shooting's fixed, but you you spring a leak in that regard, it's something that Jonas and his staff are going to have to deal with because um, you don't want to have fixed the issue and then have something else come up because of, you know, just front court depth. When you think you got some pretty good players, the likes of Turner, uh, second year for Big Ed and the rest of them. And the last note, and again, thanks to John for me just reading these uh, on the podcast. Uh, I don't think we're going to see eye-popping stats from Dewan this year, but he also doesn't need to score like he did last year. Excited to see him work as a real floor general, which is what we'll likely need him to do. There were still times when you could see he could take over and be the best player on the floor on any given play. And I think that sums it up. Like if we are asking Dewan to do less and he's got guys in the corners that he can dish it out to, he might have quote unquote worse numbers than last year, but the team will be better for it. And I think you're going to see a lot more consistency in what his stat lines are. And you're not going to see like that many five of 17s and one for six from three that maybe we saw when he felt like he had to press the issue last year. It does feel like just through this one game we can go off of that a lot of what we've been saying in the preseason looks to be bared out. You know, long may it continue. Yeah, you know, to your Dwan, you know, your Dwan point, I think the situation where he's the best player on the court might not be a good one for Georgia State, but in a world where he has to remind folks that he still can get to the basket because you have to defend Georgia state. So, you know, you have to defend differently and you can't focus on him as much as you would like. That's good. That is going to help Georgia state play very effectively this year. I believe it, but I do want to say, I, I think the, the situation we're talking about is like when you need someone to have the ball late in the game, like what we saw in the, you know, I think he was involved in the Georgia Tech plays, although he didn't take some of those shots. And against Mercer specifically, where he just kind of willed them back into that game and forced overtime and got the win. I do think you want to see that. Like, I don't think it's a bad sign if that is the Dewan you're getting. Or like, those are the circumstances where you'd want Dewan to be that guy. And like, he was a highly touted high school recruit. You know, he was like a 96, I think, like a high four star. So. I don't think we've ever doubted the talent. I just think that they've set him up better this year with all the guys around him to where we're going to see that talent shine. And even if he only has nine points at a certain point in the second half, you might see him flip the switch and be that guy. And it's not going to be like last year where I feel like he was kind of on fumes there by the time they got to February and March. All right, and that's all we've got for the postgame show this week. We'll be back again on Thursday to preview number 23-ranked James Madison coming into the friendly confines of Center Park Stadium. So until then, have a great week. Bye-bye.